Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read there together in just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to read beginning with verse 5. We're going to go through this great book of the Bible on Sunday mornings. And hope you can join us every week. You're available. And if you're online joining us that way, we're glad to have you with us as well. But we're glad you're here. Those of you in person, glad you're here. Uh, so during the birth of one of our children, I was with Vicki, you know, and, you know, during the birthing experience and everything went well. And they... Um, Took care of the baby and everything, and um, at when finally, after everything was all right, they knew everything was okay. They cleaned the baby up. They took the baby off, and Vicky and I were just there alone together for a moment. And I leaned over to her and I said, "I don't want to ever go through that again." I said, <laughs> "Was that insensitive?" Was I? <laughs> you don't want to go through it again," she said. And we discovered, of course, what every parent discovers. There's pain and joy, pain and hope that run on parallel courses, arrive about the same time. It's very often this case in life. Pain and hope run parallel courses. Problems and opportunities, parallel courses, arrive about the same time. Paul's going to talk here about some of the pain he faces, some of the difficulties he faces, some of the obstacles he, he faces, but he does that in the context of the hope that the Lord brings as well. So let's read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read beginning with verse 5. The Bible says, For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again, while you join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. Well, let's talk about this subject, pain and hope, these parallel courses that travel together so often. Now, there are four principles I'd like you to note. Would you write these down? If you're here, if you're online, you can write these down uh, wherever you are, write these four principles down. Number one, our hope is found in comfort. If you are here last week, we talked about the comfort that the Lord gives. You may remember there's a reason, a purpose behind why the Lord gives comfort to us. It's not just so we can have comfort, but God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Our blessings are not just so we have blessings. God's not just giving us blessings so we can pile up blessings and note how many blessings we have. But he does that so that we can bless others. There's always a purpose behind it. And, and so I want to note uh, our hope that's found in comfort. And let's go to verse 5, where the Bible says, for just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So the Bible is telling us here that we benefit from Christ's suffering as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us. Now, Christ suffered on our behalf. The Bible tells us Christ died 
for you. He died for you. He suffered in your place. He suffered for your sins. And the Bible says here, the sufferings of Christ overflow to us. Now the picture here is not like a little meandering stream on a hot summer day trickling around back and forth through a valley. It's a flood. It's overflowing. And the picture is given to us is that Christ's suffering was not a meandering stream, but a terrible flood. He didn't just die for some small little infractions. He died for your sins. And it overflows. God's grace is not just a little meandering stream. It is the overflow of God's deep love for you. And the more you get to understand who God is and the depths of your own sin, if you thought, you know, my sin's no big deal. I'm, I'm glad Jesus died for my sins. As though it's no big deal, you have missed the point of the gospel, which reminds us that our sins kill us, that they destroy us, that, that our sins are against God who is holy. And yet Christ died for us and his grace overflows to us, floods our souls. And if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I want to ask you to give your life to Christ and find salvation in Christ who suffered on your behalf. He died in your place. He took your place on that cross. The Bible says God loves you, and he demonstrated that love. God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to know how deep God's love is for you, so deep that he would suffer on your behalf, die in your place, take your sins upon himself. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I'm asking you today to make the most important decision you will ever make in life and give your life to Christ and find salvation, this Christ who suffered for you so greatly. He didn't suffer for his sins. He suffered for my sins, for your sins. And it overflows to us. But not only... So we benefit from Christ's suffering. We benefit from Christ's comfort. Verse 5 says, For just as the suffering of Christ overflowed to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So the comfort Christ gives is not a little trickle, but it is a flood. It's a flood. Christ fully forgives. Absolutely forgives. Completely forgives. His grace isn't just a little small thing. It is an overwhelming flood of grace and love and mercy. And we benefit from Christ's comfort. Christ's death in our place is the means by which we can have comfort. The sufferings of Christ overflow to us and also the comfort of Christ overflow to us. So my, my wife and I now are, uh, we started bird watching. This is a this is, a sad, this is a sad thing to have to tell you, but this is what we do now. This is what you, one day. So we just, for whatever reason, we have a you know, bird feeder at the house. We started seeing birds. We noticed there's lots of different kinds of birds, birds we didn't know about. We saw them more often. And we, just, we decided to start uh, what they sometimes call a big year, kind of how many birds you can find in a year. We've seen 100, over 100 now, just went over 100. I know you're going to be excited to hear this. Bird, different birds so far in this calendar year. Now, some birds stay here year-round. Some birds just are here, you know, breeding season or something like that. And some birds just pass through. And so you want to try to catch some of those birds who are passing through. So sometime in the spring rains, there was a lot of rain this spring, and 
we went to, we saw, you know, you can go to sites. People do this stuff. This is, what, this is how sad our life has become. We went to the Kaskaskia Bottomlands, the Kaskaskia River that meanders through our state, our part of the state, and it floods often. And we went to the Kaskaskia Bottomlands because some of the migrating birds that are not normally here coming from south to north will pass through and then in the fall come back. And so you can find birds that you would not normally see, especially the big birds that are a little easier to identify um, ducks and geese and various kinds of birds like that. And so we went, we drove out far out. This, this, is what I, this is what I do for entertainment. This is what we, this is our life. This is, we drove out into the hinterlands and we drove on little roads to the Kaskaskia bottomlands. We went uh, on little roads up to the levee. They have levees along the Kaskaskia because it's flooded so many times. And we drive up to the top of the levee and there's water and I mean, all the roads in that bottomland are, were flooded in this. I mean, they were open much of the year, but they were flooded with the spring floods, and we saw various birds and such. And I'm reminded that the suffering of Christ is not like a little, you know, you think of it a little trickle, like, oh, it's nice. Jesus loves me. No, the suffering of Christ is overflowing to us, his death in our place. And the comfort of Christ is not a little, that's nice. Sure, it's nice that he helps me. It's the overflowing forgiveness and grace and mercy of the Lord. Our hope is found in comfort. Now, there's a second principle I'd like you to note. Would you write this down? Our hope is found in purpose. It's found in purpose. The Bible says here in verse 6, if we are, are afflicted, listen, Paul was afflicted a few times. I don't know if you know this, but if you've read any of the story of the book of Acts, you see a little of the affliction the persecution that Paul faced. He's not the only one who's ever faced affliction for the cause of Christ. Here's why, he said. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. There's a reason behind it. There's a purpose. It is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. He's saying, not only have I suffered for Christ, but you're going to as well. That must have been a little discouraging for the church of Corinth to hear that in this world there are hard things. But I want you to understand something of the purpose of the Christian life. Can I just tell you, one of the reasons why God saves you and leaves you in this world is because we are to sacrifice for others. That's what we're to do. It's not an ancillary part of faith. It is a purpose that God gives to us. We are to sacrifice for others. That's what we're to do, those of us who know Christ as Savior. Paul said, I'm going to suffer for you. I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to face hardship and persecution because the gospel matters so much and it cares so deeply about you coming to know the Lord that I'm willing to face all of these deprivations and all of these problems and all of these difficulties because of my care for you. And I'm willing to sacrifice. May I tell you, this is the Christian life, a willingness to think of others and not just ourselves. Far too many Christians have somehow come to the conclusion that the Christian life is just about like sort of get, having some nice, warm, fuzzy feelings. That the Christian life is just about what do I like and want and get? But the Bible says we're to make our bodies a living sacrifice. That's in the Bible. We are not to make our lives about us. And so we sacrifice for the cause of others. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 6. If, it, if we are afflicted, and many times he was, it is for your comfort and salvation. 
And he's saying, I want you to find patient endurance as you suffer through some of these same things. And so that's why we do things like give. The Christian life is not just about getting. We give. There are many people here who have sacrificed for the cause of Christ, financially given faithfully, sometimes for years and decades and lifetimes for the cause of Christ, when they could have spent it all upon themselves, on what they like and want, the newest trend, and instead they sacrifice for the cause of Christ. It's why we teach. You don't, you don't tend to teach preschool classes. You don't tend to teach the life groups here for our preschoolers because you get lots of thank yous. Some of the children don't remember to say thank you or aren't old enough to say thank you. And there's challenges that come with it. And we don't always recognize it. We don't always say thank you enough as a church for, it, for that. But we're not doing it ultimately for the thank you. We're doing it for the sacrifice for the cause of Christ because we want little boys and girls and their parents and their friends to come to know the Lord and to find there's a God who cares about them and loves them and has a purpose for them. And we serve. Service is not just I'm going to get, I'm going to receive. It's about thinking of others. And part of the Christian life is saying, I'm going to think of others and not just myself. And Paul said that over and over. I'm going to die to self and I'm going to live for Christ. And I'm going to think about you and not just about me. Now, he's not only saying we sacrifice for others, but he's saying we testify to others. Let's go to verse 7. Part of our purpose is to testify to others. Verse 7 says, And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, you'll also share in the comfort. He's saying, I'm gonna, you're going to discover as you suffer for the cause of Christ, as you sacrifice, as you face the difficulties of life, that you're also going to share in the comfort. Now, listen there. Pain and comfort travel kind of parallel courses and arrive at about the same time. But God reminds us that he, he has a purpose for us and that he allows us to discover the purpose of life and the reason for life as we follow him, that we're facing obstacles, but we're facing opportunities that come along the same parallel track. And there's a power to your testimony. There's a power to your testimony. We had some new deacons come on this last week and one of the deacons, all of the deacons shared the testimony. One of the deacons shared a testimony like this. He grew up in the church. Sounds like a deacon testimony, doesn't it? Grew up in church, went to church all the time, came to hear the gospel message when he was very young, trusted Christ as Savior when he was very young. Sounds like a deacon testimony. And then he ran from God. The deacon testimony took a little bit of a turn there. And he got involved in alcohol and substance abuse. It's not an uncommon story. But at some point along the way, life got difficult enough and problematic enough that he realized his need for God, and he came back to the Lord to find there was a God who still cared and loved him and could forgive him and cleanse him. And he said, if that's you, if you faced alcohol abuse or substance abuse, Man, I want to talk to you. I want to help you. And there's a power to that testimony. It's one thing just to know the truth that God wants to set you free. It's another to have the testimony of somebody who has been set free by the power of Jesus. It's one thing just to know the fact that God cares about us deeply and he wants us to overcome the problems and difficulties of our past. But it's another to recognize that God has done that and to hear from someone. Maybe God would use your testimony. Listen to Nobody who's been in church a long time here is under the illusion that you are perfect anyway. Nobody who's been around you long enough has 
thought, oh, I, oh, I'm so surprised to find out that you've got some pain and some problems in your past. We all do. The gospel message is that we recognize our need for the Lord. And our hope is found in purpose. God wants to remind us that we sacrifice for others and we testify to others. And God will use even the problems of our lives, sort of like parallel tracks, the hope and the pain that travel down these parallel tracks to remind us of our purpose, to remind us that he made us for something more than just ourselves and what's in it for me and what do I get, but that, that I sacrifice, that I testify, that I'm pointing other people to the Savior. There's a third principle I'd like you to note with me. Our hope is found in faith. Our hope is found in faith. Go with me, please, to verse 8. The Bible says, Paul is saying here, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, these are his spiritual family, of our affliction that took place in Asia. Now, we're not told the details, but it's called affliction. That doesn't sound good, does it? Affliction. And he said, while I was in Asia, I faced some affliction. And I want you to know that. He's not hiding it. And he said, we were completely overwhelmed. Now, some of you know that feeling a little bit because you've been overwhelmed by problems and difficulties. And he said, we were completely overwhelmed. He said, it was beyond our strength. That's what the text says in verse 8. Beyond our strength. He came to realize, I cannot do this alone. It's bigger than me. I'm overwhelmed. And here's why. So that. That's right in verse 8. So that, here's the purpose behind it. So that we even despaired of life itself. So he said, I didn't think we could even make it. It seems so big and so great and so problematic. But through that, he found faith and trust that was deepened. There's not a one of you here who's been praying for affliction, I bet. You didn't wake up this morning saying, God, I'd like some affliction. And God, while I'm at it, if you don't mind, would you give mom some great affliction? It would really be awesome if mom could get some affliction on this special day for her. But the truth is, affliction brings opportunity. We don't want affliction. We don't like affliction. But affliction brings opportunity. And on the parallel track of the affliction will come opportunity. And very often... God uses affliction to help us to see that we cannot depend upon ourselves. And listen, some of you are in affliction right now. Some of you feel overwhelmed right now. Some of you feel like this is beyond my strength right now. Don't waste this pain and these problems. God would use this to help you to see how much you, depend, you need to depend upon him. You need him all the time. But sometimes God uses affliction to help us to see how much we depend upon him and how much we need him and how we can't just depend upon our own ingenuity and ability and talents and resources so that we will turn to him instead of to ourselves. Spiritual growth often deepens most in times of trouble. Have you ever noticed that? Spiritual growth often deepens most in times of trouble. We don't like times of trouble, but this is a trouble-filled world. And very often, spiritual growth happens most. Our roots grow deepest when it's the driest seasons, the most difficult times of life. And I want to ask you to trust even when overwhelmed. Maybe some of you are fa facing some overwhelming circumstances, families that are falling apart, relationships that are broken, financial difficulties. Listen, if you live long enough, something like that's going to happen to you. If you live long enough, you know, in this world, as we often say, if you live long enough in this world, you die. That's, that's the brokenness of this world. 
But God uses these difficult days on that parallel track as we see the difficulties and the affliction comes the opportunity and the hope. And God deepens our trust and he deepens our faith in times of adversity. So don't waste the pain and the problems. Trust, we trust when overwhelmed. And notice well that our faith grows when stretched and exercised. Verse 9 says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. I mean, that's how, that's how bad my problems, whatever it was. Maybe he was facing persecution. He faced many, of, many persecutions. He was imprisoned often for faith, beaten for faith. Maybe it was a physical adversity some, sometime when he thought, literally, I'm not going to be able to survive this. And he says, indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death so that, now here's the purpose, so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. There's a purpose. That's why so that is there. We receive the sentence of death. It felt so, so terrible. But the purpose, the so that, was that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God. We felt like this is the sentence of death. But death is no problem for God. It's no problem. He's got death. He raises people from the dead. He takes us from the deadness of our sin and gives us new life in Christ. He conquers death in our lives physically, and we have eternal life in Christ. And God uses the difficulties of life to grow us and to stretch us and to exercise our faith. You know, athletes have to stretch and exercise sometimes. Did you know that? I mean, if they're going to get better, they're going to have to do some exercise and some stretching and, and face that kind of adversity in order to get better. It's not... They're not going to get stretched and exercised just by playing Minecraft, you know, Grand Theft Auto 5 or something. That's, that's not the means by which their muscles are stretched and exercised. They're going to have to go through some pain and some difficulty and some struggle. And God in heaven might on occasion take you out of the comfortable of your life and allow you to face enough adversity to realize there's a so that. You can't depend upon yourself. And your life was never meant to just be about you. And there's something more important than just your comfort. But God wants you to give you a spiritual depth and a spiritual comfort that's greater than this world can know. And God cares about you deeply. And he wants to stretch your faith. He wants to bring some exercise to your spiritual muscles. And very often in my life, God has used adversity and difficulty. I've never prayed one single time for more adversity and affliction and difficulty. But very often God has used it in my life for good, for good. And I have seen as I followed that track of pain and affliction and problems and suffering that there's a parallel track of hope coming right alongside it and riding about the same time. Opportunity is running that track right along parallel to all the adversity and it's arriving about the same time. And through that, if I will trust the Lord, if I will see the so that, I can recognize that God will deepen me and strengthen me and help my faith to flourish in the middle of this broken, fallen world for his glory. And our hope is found in faith. God wants you to trust him. Not yourself, not your circumstances. He wants you to trust him. Not your money, not your position, not your influence, not your power, not your pleasure, but to trust him. And God reminds us that our hope is found in faith. And very often we discover our faith most deeply when we feel the most overwhelmed. There's a fourth principle I'd like you to note. Our hope is found in prayer. Our hope is found in prayer. If you have a praying mother 
or grandmother, you have about the greatest thing this world knows. And there's some of you here this morning, watching online or here in person, and you're here because of the prayers of a mother who's prayed for you, of a grandmother who's prayed for you, of a father or grandfather or a neighbor or a friend or coworker who's prayed for you. And God has blessed those prayers and used those prayers as a means of reminding you about the hope in this world. And so let's note a couple of things here. Would you note, we face the future through prayer. We face the future through prayer. Let's go to verse 10. The Bible says, he has delivered us from such a terrible death. Now, I love how verse 10 does this. It's kind of a past tense and future tense. The lessons we learn in the past benefit us for the future. He has delivered us from such a terrible death. That's past tense. This is what God has done. And he will deliver us. That's future tense. So what God has done in the past, in the past is a lesson for what he will do in the future. And I'm reminded that God has delivered me in the past and I can count on him to deliver me again. It says in verse 10, we have put our hope in him, that's the past tense, that he will, future tense, deliver us again. We put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. What God has done in the past, he is going to do in the future. We can count on him as we counted on him in the past. We can count on him in the future. And verse 11, while you join in helping us by your prayers. Paul's saying all the delivery that came from God happened as you joined in helping me by your prayers. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't think I fully understand prayer. Though I've prayed many times, read about prayer, studied prayer. But I know this, that God does things through prayer that he would not do otherwise. That there is a, a means of helping others that is more than just our physical activity. But by our prayers, we join the work that God is doing. And God works through the prayers of his people. And Paul is saying, I was going through this terrible time. I, it felt like death, but I knew God would deliver. And I put my hope in him, but I didn't do it alone. I faced the future because I knew someone was praying. I knew I had a church at Corinth there who was praying for me, who had not forgotten to pray, who, were, who was bringing my need to God on my behalf. And we face the future through prayer. And some of you have someone praying for you in your life. They've loved you and cared about you. And they've, they're reminding you. They're work, doing the work of God. God is working in and through their prayers to accomplish his purposes for your life. And one of the reasons you're here, one of the reasons God is convicting you is because of the prayers of someone in your life. We face the future through prayer, but we also are blessed through prayer. Verse 11 says this, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. He's saying many are going to thank the Lord. They're going to be thankful to God for the gifts on behalf of the gift that came to us, the hope that came because of the prayers of many. He's saying the problems, the pain, the affliction came on parallel tracks with the hope, with the prayers, with the blessings, with the opportunities that were right, running right along on parallel tracks and arriving at about the same time. 
And God was choosing to bless him, Paul is saying, through the prayers of many. I'm telling you, there are people who are praying for us, praying for our church, praying for you. And God is blessing those prayers. And you're facing affliction and problems and difficulties. All you see is one track, and it just looks like affliction and problems and pain and difficulty, while on this other track, running parallel to it and arriving about the same time, are all the opportunities, all the hope, all the prayers, all the moments that God has been working to provide exactly what he wants for you in exactly this moment. And God in heaven is reminding us that he, he puts pain and hope together. The pain of this broken, fallen world with the hope that comes through the Lord Jesus himself who overflows his love toward us and who gives us the gifts that he provides for us and who wants what's best in us and with us and by the power of the prayers that he prays, that he works through us to accomplish his purposes in us. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we bow, there are some of you here who need to be saved. You're watching online or you're here in person. You need to give your life to Christ. And when I talked about how Christ died for us and how Christ suffered on our behalf, you, were, you felt the conviction of the Spirit in your life. And God does that to remind you that you need Him. And I want to ask you to give your life to Christ today. I want to ask you to repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ. And if that's you, right now, would you give your life to Christ? You could pray a prayer like this. And I'm just saying words. It won't change anything. But if from the depth of your heart, you mean this. You could pray a prayer like this to God. God, I know I've sinned against you. Just tell him that. I've sinned against you. You are holy. And my sin caused the suffering you faced on the cross. You died for me on that cross. But I believe you love me. You died for me. You rose from the dead for me. And I believe you can save me. And here and now, just telling this, here and now, I want to repent of my sin, turn from it. I want to trust you and you alone to save me. And I want to give my life to you. And I ask you to save me. And if you mean that, Christ will save you. Christ will save you. And he'll forgive perfectly as a perfect Savior. There are many of you here who are believers. And some of you felt the, you felt the overwhelming nature of affliction. And these are difficult days. But God would use them in your life to help you see how much you need him. God would use this in your life to help your faith to deepen. God will remind you that though there's pain on your road, there's hope and opportunity on that road as well. Would you say, God, in the middle of this pain, I want to trust you. In the middle of this pain, I want to trust you. And Father, I want to thank you that hope travels that course with our pain. That though we suffer and sacrifice and face adversity and affliction in this world, we're also reminded that you go through this world every step with us, that you care about us deeply, more than we can know or imagine. That you give us hope, that you give us purpose, that you give us meaning, that you even in this broken world, can give us joy. So we want to trust you in the middle of this broken world. We ask you to do the work that you want to do in the lives of your people, and we ask you to bring people to yourself, draw people to salvation. And Lord, would you do the work of deepening? There are some here who know you as Savior, but they've just been so flippant about faith. And you're reminding them that you want something deeper, something more, something greater. Would you help us to live our Christian life for your glory, to sacrifice willingly 
for you. To remember the great flood that you've given to us of your love and to sacrifice willingly for you and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.